0: Hey Fresh Capital listeners, in this episode we discuss Madison Square Garden Sports Corporation or MSG for short. MSG is a really interesting business for understanding the effects of COVID-19 on live event businesses. Think live sports, stadium events. Albert and I touch on the uniqueness of sports businesses. It's not all about profit, it's also about performance and sporting achievement. Can you be a successful sports business when you aren't winning championships? Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Albert. Albert,
1: how are you going? Dan, we've been hanging out a lot the past 48 hours. <laughs> not necessarily a bad thing, I just I just wanted to put it out there. Cute little dinner last night, a bit of brunch this morning at Carriage Works. now doing this pod, seeing a lot of DT in my life this weekend. I hope you're not getting sick of me. It was a fun morning.
0: Uh, I think you had like three coffees, so I think you're pretty prepared for this pod. How are you feeling?
1: Yeah, wired. How are you feeling? <laughs>
0: I'm not the best of milk, so I think I, I overdid my lactose intake this morning. Um, we won't go any further down that topic. Don't worry, everyone. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing the pitch for Madison Square Garden Sports Corporation. There's a few uh, subsidiaries or different companies of the Madison Square Garden moniker, but we're talking about the Sports Corporation. As of every week, we'll start off with a summary of the business. We'll then discuss what's driving its revenue, transit in industry, and competitors. We'll finish the episode with our overall verdict on the company. Albert, do you want to talk to us about what MSG Sports
1: is? Yeah, this is exciting because it kind of combines all the things we're interested in, like sports, investing, finance, strategy. Madison Square Garden Sports is the sporting asset, uh, I guess, conglomerate that holds a number of sporting assets in new york including the new york knicks which is the nba team at the moment the new york rangers it's a hockey team the westchester knicks it's the nba g league team for the new york knicks or it's like a development team that feeds into the nba the hartford wolf pack which is again a similar american hockey league the counter logic gaming team so the new york knicks or the madison square garden corp have a controlling interest in this esports team clg And um, a very specific, Knicks Gaming, which is the NBA 2K League. So across Madison Square Garden, they generated about 600 mil in revenue in FY20. This has been down since FY18, where they were generating almost 800 mil. So, you know, 200 mil down from a couple of years ago. But only driven by limited ticket sales, bums on seats with... COVID in the past year, Um, but overall 600 mil, not bad for a a business, Dan. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think we should start off with the impact of COVID 19. So, as we try and understand this business, uh, we're going to be getting into the sports industry in this episode, which is really interesting. The intersection of business and, uh, you know, it's like a a sport that you might be playing on the weekend at, at the highest competitive level it, it's weird how they they interact and play out. but on the business side of things it's it's a really simple model to understand. You have a product which is a sports team. How do you create revenue out of that? Well you have ticket sales from people seeing the performances, the games. you have media rights fees, which is these broadcast television networks that pay for the right to broadcast the games. Uh, You have suites within the stadium, which you might pay for, for, you know, big sponsors or just celebrities, whoever. Sponsorships. So you'll have uh, logos on the court. You'll have ad breaks where you might have readouts, you know, Popeye's chicken, McDonald's, whatever the case might be, signage and advertising. Um, And then in the game itself, you have food and beverage, merchandise sales which uh, really drives a lot of uh, revenue for the third quarter, which is essentially from the start of January this year until the end of March this year, they are down 32% in terms of their revenue in the same period in in 2020. That's because their stadium capacity is restricted to 10% of fans attending home games. That'll be lifted to about 30% uh, in the next week or so. Um, so it's pretty obvious why revenues down. The interesting thing for us to discuss, Albert, is what's the future outlook of these sports teams going to look like? What do you think? What's, what's going to drive their revenue up as fans actually start getting back in the stadiums?
1: It makes so much sense that they're about you know, 30% down from the previous year. Like Looking at their annual report, um, event-related uh, is what they're calling it, made up about 39% of revenue. So that's anything to do with ticket sales, sweet sales that you mentioned, as well as food and beverage. I think interestingly, Dan, um, the food and beverage contract within Madison Square Garden, I don't know if you had a look at it, but I had a quick click through the, um, the licensing agreement. They actually don't charge rent to the providers, but take a 50% clip of the profit that the food and beverage providers generate. So like a pretty nice clip. Um, so 39% event related. Media rights, so that's like media distribution rights that they sell to TV broadcasters, online broadcasters, make about 31%. Sponsorship that you mentioned, you know, Madison Square Garden, named because where it is in Madison Square, um, but they also sponsor or have sponsors who sponsor parts of the stadium, um, you know, different logos in different places, makes up about 23%. And then league distribution, so that's money from the NBA itself that they get from, um, shared revenue across broadcasting, online sales, etc., make up about seven percent. I think when I look to the future, how this revenue is gonna to start to bounce back, given that the dip is predominantly because of the limited ticket sales, you know, if it's at ten percent capacity and Madison Square Garden is a a stadium that's operated at almost full capacity year on year given how popular not only sports is in New York, but how popular the Knicks is as a franchise, the Rangers is a franchise. Like I've no doubt that revenue is gonna bounce back. Interestingly, um, you know, when they say, or talk about revenue in the annual report, they get into the weeds about ticket sales and season tickets. So season tickets are sold at a set rate and each year they increase the set rate given the popularity of season tickets. However, individual tickets are quite on a dynamic basis based on who, you know, the teams are playing, where they stand in the league, um, you know, star players, days of the week. So, you know, if you've got a Friday, Saturday game, it's going to cost more than, say, a Wednesday, Tuesday game. So they've got this, like, dynamic pricing model behind individual tickets. But ultimately, what I um, think about and what drives revenue for a business like, you know, Madison Square Garden is the popularity of the team and whether that team is going to be winning. So you and I can probably talk at length about the NBA and I know in the NHL you know the Rangers aren't performing particularly well they're fifth in the Eastern Conference so not great within the conference are probably not great across the ladder but the Knicks themselves have had a pretty bleak history the past you know decade or so do I see that changing anytime soon to drive revenue for this business probably not and so when you think about how this business can start to increase its revenue through increasing the price of Tickets, both season tickets and individual tickets. I think it's not hitting the ceiling it could be, given that it doesn't have the star power, the popularity in terms of how much they're winning for them to price tickets even more.
0: Yeah, I would even go further and identify a couple of the headwinds for not only Madison Square Garden Sports Corp, but any other sports team at the moment. Um They saw this with a financial crisis you know several years ago, almost a decade plus ago now. In rough economic times, people like to keep hold of their money. you know they don't go out and spend on frivolous things, and to some extent, watching sports games live is a bit of a extravagance for a lot of people. So they will find that you know in downturns in the economy, ticket prices, ticket attendance, all tends to go down as well. So I see that as a depressing factor, even as the stadium reaches full capacity again and allowing 100% of fans back in. I don't know if the demand is is going to be there. Counterpunch to that, you might say there's no international travel. Uh, in Australia and in America, there are s- certain amounts of stimulus going, and that's true of governments around the world. If that stimulus is actually giving the opportunity for people to go out and spend a little bit more in their day-to-day. Maybe that would, would drive back um, money to these businesses, to these sporting groups. So I, th- there's counterpoints, but I think generally the world is going into an That will spell some, some tough times ahead for sports organizations. The other thing that I'll jump on there, which you've talked about, Albert, is the competitiveness of the teams. And in some ways, I actually think real experience is different to what you're suggesting. I think what you're suggesting is that having a poor product on the floor will relate to poor performance of the business as a whole. And yet when you look at the New York Knicks, who have been pretty mediocre, if not worse than mediocre as a sports team over the last decade, if you look at Manchester United, uh, which is a soccer team over (laughs) a football team, maybe I should say, over uh, in England, they had a fantastic history of winning championships and they've not reached those heights in a long, long time. But both the New York Knicks or Madison Square Garden and Manchester United have actually grown as companies uh, in the last decade. And that's been on the back of you know international fans really monetizing their brand across sponsors, eyeballs on their products in other areas, essentially. And what they're leveraging is less the product on the court, but more just the huge base of fans they have. The competitive advantage if we want to use that sort of terminology that madison square garden has is that they're the team of new york and new york has got a huge population and there's a huge interest there for them so i think the the relationship between product on the floor performance of the sports team isn't 100 percent tied to success as a business as a whole
1: no absolutely i i don't disagree with that that's when you look at the New York Knicks being the most valuable franchise in the NBA and then you look at their record and their record over the past, I don't know, decade, 15 years. Like I look at that team and don't think it's as valuable of an asset as, or I don't think it's as valuable as an asset as people think or project it to be based on the performance. I just think that this business, so MSG was a billion dollar business And given that the New York Knicks aren't as high performance as they have previously been, they probably price tickets at a bit of a lower price to fill seats. Once you have a high performing Knicks team who are making the playoffs, who have all NBA players, you can start to squeeze out more cash, both from season holders and individual tickets. So when I project out to the future, if the Knicks and the other New York sports teams are high performing, are making the playoffs, are championship caliber teams, then by all means, this business will be highly successful. And this is in their annual report, so they talk about their competitive advantage, which, you know, one of them is developing championship caliber teams. Our core goal is to develop and maintain teams that consistently compete for championships. I actually can't name a New, York's, New York Knicks team who last competed or looked like they could compete for a championship, which ultimately then drives revenue and supports revenue streams across MSG as a whole, more bombs and seats. You can charge more tickets because there's more demand for tickets. You can increase the price of food and beverages, increase the price of seats. Importantly, you can increase the price of sponsorship and media rights because this is a more popular team.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And this is where we get to the interesting question which is the intersection of a sports product and a business model so how can you drive success on the court so that you're then driving success for your business as well and it's, it's just a completely different focus like you're not going to have a traditional uh, company ceo or executive talking or, or making decisions about who's going to play on the court they're not going to be the coach you know coaches drive the sporting team's performance. The supporting staff drive the performance of the team. They have what's called a general manager uh, in basketball, at least, who controls what new players they sign and and basically forms the team. So the talent that comes in, which will obviously relate to the success of the team as well. So you start getting uh, the power, I guess, of decision makers really distributed throughout the organization, which is strange to think about when you're trying to assess how a company is going to perform in the future. Um, I'll go back again to the Manchester United example I I was talking about before. They had one of the most successful coaches of all time, managers of all time, which was Sir Alex Ferguson, won a whole heap of championships for Manchester United. As soon as he retired, they just couldn't fill the gap. I think they've had about three or four coaches since that time. They haven't had the same success it's almost the equivalent of having a really great ceo for a business who steps down and you just haven't been able to replace them ever since so it's just weird to think about how these different parts of the organizations which you wouldn't traditionally think about in a business as being so impactful but in this particular industry they they absolutely are
1: i guess if we elevate this discussion a bit dan you know above manu and above msg that's the question I want to pose to you is, is sports as an industry attractive to invest in? Because that's kind of the first question. And then whether MSG is attractive within that to invest in. So when I look at what's happened in the past, you know, say 15 to 20 years, sport has become a lot more popular. There's been a huge shift in how people perceive sports from, you know, something people do as a profession and kind of optimizing to be an athlete to then optimizing to be really huge revenue-generating business and a revenue-generating athlete. And, you know, there's lots of, uh, you know, teams in Europe, a few teams in America who are publicly traded. I'm also talking about kind of the complementary things associated with sports, sporting brands, IPs like publicly traded. Like, Is sport an attractive industry to invest in?
0: It's a good question, and I actually go two ways with this, so it's a little bit nuanced, my answer. Sports as a whole, I think is a great industry to be invested in. I think it's a growing industry. There's a couple of reasons for that internationalization of sports. You have this whole middle class of consumers, uh, coming up in, in Asia, who particularly for football have become super interested, super avid fans of a product, which they don't physically see in person. It's just, uh, an incredible amount of loyalty they have for these brands, Uh, I know for myself, whenever I travel to Indonesia, everyone there has got a football team in the English Premier League, despite almost all of them never having been to England to watch them. Uh, And they're fanatical in the way that they uh, consume and contribute to the success of that business. So that's been an area of growth Media, as you mentioned, has been a, a massive area of growth. As you've got these more international fans, it means you can monetize them with the broadcasting rights, etc. So it's a it's a really growing industry. Using going back to Madison Square Garden, uh, they IPO'd in 1997. If you invested in them back then, you'd be up a thousand plus percent uh, today. So can't go wrong. And you wouldn't have picked it given their performance on the on the field. And that's where it comes back to my criticism, which is, I don't think it's a good industry to invest in because the diversity of teams available, the spectrum in which they sit in terms of their success and failure is so broad that even if the industry as a whole is rising, I don't think you can pick the winners. It's really, really difficult. Um, So a couple of examples, you had Manchester City, which is a big English Premier League club now. They were in the third division, so not really anywhere visible to the public for a lot of their history. Um, maybe only a couple of decades ago, they were in that position. Then they get foreign ownership come in from the Middle East, pump a whole bunch of money in, and now they're the premier team in their league and internationally as well. Could you have picked that when you, if they were available to invest in back in that time? I, I don't think you could have. Similarly, like Manchester United, they're performing poorly. So you might think as an investor, oh, I'm going to pull out of this team. And yet, because of all their smarts commercially, building the business and the brand as a whole internationally, they've actually performed better as a business. So to actually pick the winners in this lot, I think is really, really tough. What I would prefer is if there was some sort of ETF, which took an average of every single sports team, I would invest in that because as an average, as a whole, I think the industry is going up going forward. But picking the winners, I think it's so tough, so tough.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to lay um, a few more things on top of that because I do agree with you know the attractiveness of sports as an industry. Something we talk about a lot on this pod is what needs to be true in order for this organisation to keep growing. So I'm not just talking about MSG, but I'm talking about all the sports teams as a whole. They're incredibly capital-intensive businesses. Like, where sports teams are at now, like, in order to facilitate a sports team or a sports business, you know, you need huge payroll costs. You've got, you know, the managers that you've talked about, GMs, coaches, like, a really good coach is getting paid in the millions. Like, how much is Alex Ferguson getting when he was at Man U? Like, probably in the millions. You know, some amazing NBA coaches are getting paid in the millions. GMs are in the millions. Assistant coaches, staff members you know, development coaches, agents, handlers. You know, you've got to, like, keep your players intact. Um, that's crazy payroll expenses. And when you also then overlay kind of the PP&E assets, like stadiums, training facilities, hotels, like all the expenditure that comes with owning a business, that's a sports team, like it doesn't scale particularly well. Like you only ever have one stadium that these players play in, which means the revenue you get, is gonna be the number of seats times tickets you sell. Like sponsorship is gonna be limited. Media rights you sell one off as a whole. Food and beverage is also limited by the number of people. Like it's incredibly difficult to grow a sports team and scale a team. So part of that is there is an unattraction to investing in sports teams for me.
0: One of the comparisons that I draw with sports teams is it's like investing in a house, for instance. And that's really what you're after isn't the every year getting a return on the people renting it out if you're not living in it. A sports team, you know, their incomes and revenue is going to go up and down in a season depending on those things we've talked about, ticket sales, sponsors, et cetera. The New York Knicks have had you know, pretty poor profit margins over the last five, 10 years, sometimes in the negative, uh, that's pre-COVID as well. So like these are tight margins, are really variable. What has changed for the benefit of MSG, for instance, is the valuation of the product as a whole. Just like in a house, you might not be making much year to year as you're paying off the mortgage, but at the end of 20 years, you're hoping that the value of that land of the house itself has gone up because of the demand in the market elsewhere over the last 20 years and here you've got in the sports league a finite amount of teams in the nba for the basketball league there's only 30 teams which means if there's a rich owner out there that wants to own an nba team they have to convince one of the other owners to sell and that's uh, a really opaque vague system they can essentially set the price at whatever they want they can say 10 billion dollars even if it's really only valued at two billion dollars but that might just be the going rate which someone pays so it's the same for the house like you're, you're really going into it because of the valuation the only difference is as retail investors you've got no say over whether or not this franchise gets gets sold or acquired to someone else that's all in, in the other owners hands so for me it's a really I think as a retail investor, you get a pretty poor deal. I don't think they're great businesses to invest in in the short and medium term. Um, so, so for me, I, I think I'd stay away from them.
1: And you talked about how if you invested in the Knicks, you would generate you know, this 10x return or 100x return back in the day to now. 10x, like why 10x. Don't, 10x, okay, that's pretty good. Like, Why don't more teams or leagues go public? Like, you know, in the NFL, there's a few rules around whether you can or can't go public. You actually can't go public as an NFL team, but there is one exception to that, which is the Green Bay Packers, which were already publicly traded or publicly held prior to the rule. So they're kind of a weird situation where they're publicly held not for profit. And so if you're a shareholder of Green Bay or Green Bay Packers, um, you don't really get any dividends. You don't get... You know, shareholder rights or anything as part of being a shareholder, you just get a vote at their AGM, access to buy special edition merch, and a little certificate that says you own part of the Green Bay Packers. But part of why Green Bay went public initially was to finance different functions. So we talked about how owning a stadium so capital intensive. You know, a couple of years ago they raised more capital by issuing more shares. They issued shares at two hundred and fifty a piece and then use that to finance a 140 mil expansion to one of their stadiums. So going public gives you access to all the cash. You know, you mentioned that in your Simple Sprouts IPO, what is an IPO? And as a team, you want a lot of money because it helps you then finance stadiums, which then attracts more people because you can have more seats. Um, it gives you opportunities to sp- expand Internationally, scout for more players, increase marketing and your brand reputation, especially in developing markets like Indonesia. You know, China's huge for the NBA at the moment, but it also gives you cash to buy players, which then increases revenue and ticket sales because you've got the better players or access to better players or you can develop better players. So, you know, it's like the question I pose back to you, Dan, it's like, why don't teams do it?
0: I think it's just a horrible decision to do. It's, um, it's all about control. So so why would you go public when, as a private owner, you have 100% say over the direction of the franchise? Uh, that's not just a uh, player movement, who's in, who's out. That's all the way down to who's sitting in seats. So for Madison Square Garden, uh, there was a famous example of a, a prominent ex-player for the New York Knicks sitting and watching a uh a basketball game he was a bit of a vocal he was a vocal critic rather of the owner james dolan and uh he got sort of thrown out of the building by security which fans were in an uproar because one of their you know famous ex-players was, was treated that way but that's the rights you have as, as the owner you can sort of do what you like why would you give up that control the reason as you say albert is so that you can get some cash you know if, if you're strapped for cash sure i i would see the reason why you'd ipo but a lot of these owners they make their money elsewhere Um, they've got other businesses which are generating this money Uh, in the premier league for example for for football you've got whole governments actually owning uh, essentially these teams so pretty unlimited line of of cash that they can funnel in as much as they would like so there's there's no reason there's no reason at all to ipo um, to go public because then even if you're not giving up direct control over decision making, that sort of thing, and this is like you've talked about before we start recording, Albert. There's this whole transparency and accountability that comes with being a, comes with being a publicly listed company, which, as a private owner, like I don't I don't want to explain the decisions between why I invested in a hundred million dollar player and they turned out to be a dud. Uh, <laughs> that's already egg on my face. I don't want to have to front an AGM and explain that decision. Uh, but do you want to go into that a little bit deeper, Albert?
1: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It is about control. Like, owning a sports team in America, particularly an NFL or an NBA team, is probably the closest thing you'll get to royalty in that country. Like, if you own a sports team, a major sports team, like, you're you're treated like royalty in America. And, you know, I was just reading before we started the pod, you know, Mike Cannon-Brooks buying a minority stake of the Utah Jazz. Like, there's kind of this shift of tech bros buying NBA teams because it's just how they solidify not only their status, but you know their wealth and the assets they hold. Um, but to answer your question, like part of one of the reasons they do stay private is that accountability. Um, your disclosure laws, particularly in the SEC, um, require companies to talk about and disclose particular moves they make or why their share price fluctuates. So if you're an NBA team or a sports team and you have to signal out to the market, either you're about to do a trade you're about to acquire a player, you're about to trade a player, draft a player, the last thing you want to do is either have to signal that, disclose to the market before it happens, or disclose to the market why it happened. And like you said, Dan, front up an AGM, front up shareholders and say, we drafted this player, we bought this player, we made this deal, we hired this coach. Um, Because for the most part, it's not particularly data-driven, it's not backed by... Logic, it's often backed by, you know, nepotism in some way, reputation in some way, but connection to the owner. It's the other reason I'd say is why players or teams don't go public, is that the concentration of fans obviously sits within the geography of the team. Like if you're a New York Knicks fan, you probably live in New York. But once you put shareholder ownership outside of, you know, a a particular person, or a core group of people you now give fans shareholders uh the opportunity to control the location of where the team is can you imagine if you're at a new york knicks agm and the majority of shareholders vote to move the new york knicks to say new jersey like the the, the team would blow up like, it'd be unbelievable and so you know it comes down to control but also disclosure
0: yeah, and, and in these situations, these are all hypotheticals. There are certain rules and regulations um, for the NBA. If you're going to move a franchise, you have to get approval from the league, which they're part of. These are all contractual arrangements, which would limit those sorts of things. But it, they're interesting thought experiments because, as you say, Albert, there's just – these are businesses, but in some ways they operate in completely their own world with their own set of rules. Because, Because, as you say, Albert – There's, there's transparency and accountability to how a lot of public listed companies run, but there is no expectation really that Madison square garden corporation is going to put out a memo to the public that they're about to trade for a superstar. Like it's just not going to happen. But the magnitude of these moves are hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, that's the salary over a, a lifetime of a contract of some of these players that's the effect it can have on the market in terms of tickets, revenue, merchandise, et cetera. So in some ways they're playing on a separate playing field, even though they've got the same rules applying to them, uh, which makes this intersection. And we'll go back to that theme that I mentioned at the start, the intersection of business and sports, a really interesting place. Is there anything else you wanted to hit there?
1: If we um, have to tie a little bow about it on it, um, for me, what would need to be true about Madison Square Garden becoming more valuable as a business and then returning something back to shareholders is given that there's limited expansion around, you know, they call it event revenue. Like, do I think that they can squeeze more money out of rights, streaming lights, um, online sales, merchandise, et cetera? Like, probably not. Like, you know, the New York Knicks itself is a franchise that, uh, benefits from the halo effect of not only being a storied NBA franchise, but also the halo effect of being in New York. I think, given the rise of popularity of sports and NBA internationally, I, I don't think that halo effect uh, transfers across markets and across geographies. And so, I don't necessarily think that this business will be as valuable as it could be, but I would. Err on the side of positivity around sports teams publicly being traded or leagues being publicly traded.
0: Yeah, if we talk about future trends now, we mentioned what's the reason to IPO and be publicly traded. It's to have an influx of cash. And with COVID 19 hitting the industry quite hard, really restricting the amount of not only seats that you have for these live events, but in some cases, it's actually just cancelled games entirely. So you lose the whole revenue of that. You don't even get the media rights for broadcasting those shows. So a lot of um, clubs have been hit hard across all types of sports. So there might be an impetus to, to IPO and get some cash in, particularly if some of these super rich owners, maybe they make their money in another business, but that business is also affected by COVID-19. So they, they can't just dump in their own money. So I could see that as a, as a trend. The other trend, which a lot of experts in industry talk about is, is gambling coming in. It might be odd to some of the Australian listeners that we have because we have a fairly unregulated um, sports betting market. You can basically bet on any sport that you want, but in America it's highly regularized. I think still about 60% or more of the States in America ban uh, gambling on, on live sports as that, and started to, to trend the other way. It's starting to become more liberalized as that happens. You'll start to see more sports betters, sport betting companies, rather sponsor NBA. They'll start being, um, incorporated into the live games. So for instance, for, for baseball in between pitches, you could bet on the outcome of that particular swing. Is it going to be a home run? Is it going to be a ball? Is it going to be a strike NBA? Similarly, it. it Seems a little bit shady in some ways because on the back end of that is hopefully some informed uh, gamblers. But in other cases, it's going to be gamblers who are just going to be losing money. But that's a revenue stream for some of these sports uh, teams, particularly in America, which I think is going to be a trend in the future, which will be a plus for them. Another trend, which is pretty hot and new, is uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs. And that's, uh, if you've heard about them, that digitized asset. So the idea that you can have a clip, which is on a blockchain, it's one of a kind or one of a set amount, um, and they're trading for, in some cases, absurd numbers. I think, um, you know, LeBron James clips trade for a very high premium. Um, who knows where these markets are going, but they're interesting looking forward. Uh, another one I'd like to see is just using learnings from other sports to make the experience better in others. We mentioned briefly CLG, which is the eSports team for Madison Square Gardens. One thing that's popular in the eSports community, because it is so online, is they actually have sort of cameras following the teams and they have like this sort of um, reality show-esque, like behind the scenes of the teams where they're pre-gaming, preparation, some of the fights between team members, et cetera. I think that's partly born out of needing content for a fairly under-resourced uh, industry, which is still new, needs sponsors, needs clicks, needs views. But imagine if you had that for an NBA team um, and it was uh, broadcast by Amazon or Hulu or one of these big broadcasters that would pay for the rights to, to stream that. It would be a huge money-generating machine, and they're already doing that in the English Premier Leagues. I think uh, Tottenham have got their own show, Juventus, a big Italian Uh, team have got their own show sponsored and broadcast by Amazon. So there are, you know, I think there's diminishing ways to monetize bums on seats in a stadium, but there's a lot of ways to monetize everything else that goes around sports. So it's going to be a growing industry.
1: It's those like really interesting upstream and downstream impacts of all boats rising because like sport as a whole is becoming more interesting and like expanding across markets. I think what you said is so true around nfts like i tried to buy a sport nft a few weeks ago when it was blowing up and like a lebron james dunk was so expensive even like a kobe white who's a bulls player three was like 30 dollars. like i don't know if i want to pay that much money for <laughs> ownership of this gif um but but you're right like the the content of the nba is shifting away from games and towards the players themselves and how these players popularise their character or their brand as a person rather than as an NBA player. And those upstream impacts of sport and downstream impacts of sport are incredibly interesting in probably ways that Madison Square Garden could become more valuable in the future. So what's your final verdict, Albert? Look, I still think, and despite how far-fetched it is, sports teams or even sports leagues going public, um, wild, good idea, helps with cash, helps with international expansion. So bullish on this idea of sports going public, bearish for the lack of a better word on Madison Square Garden. What about you, Dan? Um, I- I'm similar.
0: I, I don't think individual sports teams uh, ones which you can bet on with any certainty um not that it is betting but investing in in these i think is really speculative some of these teams you know the turnaround and their fortunes can be every five years you just have a new player that comes in sparks something uh they're a really good player and then their contracts up in three years and they sign with a different team and then you're back at square zero uh, or square one, rather. So it the fortunes of these teams are so diverse that you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't look into any of them. Um, if you could invest in the industry as a whole, so I know you mentioned Albert. Uh, there's retailers like Nike, Adidas, some of these other big companies, which I think will rise with the sports tide. You could think of Amazon if they're getting into the sports industry in terms of broadcasting that sort of thing. I think those are ones that are worth a look in. So I wouldn't be investing directly in these like sports teams, but the things around the business around sports is definitely an interesting one that I'd I'd look into.
1: Yeah, nice. I think that, um, you know, ties a nice bow around this discussion.
0: All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. Please support our podcast by rating it Five stars on apple itunes Uh, we cornered a couple of our friends uh recently and got them to to leave a review there's a nice little link in the show notes just just click it scroll down to the bottom and you can leave us a review every follow and rating really helps us out so thanks again and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to another episode of fresh capital Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.